There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14, and then we'll, we'll go back starting in chapter 13. All right? All right. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. For the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And Lord, whether we're having any kind of technical issues, God, or just in our own lives, there's things that are wanting to distract from this moment right here. Would you just silence those? That in this moment, as we open up your word, we experience you through your word by your spirit. And Father, we just thank you for who you are in your son's name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, I I know we weren't here last week, so sometimes it can feel like it's been a couple weeks, but so let's do a quick where we were. Last time we looked at the Passover. We looked at this institution. If you guys remember that the word Passover in Exodus isn't even the normal Hebrew word for like hovering. When you think of something that passes over, you can think of like when a ball is passed and there's that word that means to hover, pass over. That's not what the word in the Passover actually means. It actually means to protect. And it comes down to this final plague, this final sign that God had told Moses he was going to do all the way back when Moses and God were speaking at the burning bush. And Yahweh told him that he would take out the firstborn of Egypt. And he said he would do that because Israel is his firstborn. And so what happens is God says, I want you to stop oppressing and abusing my firstborn my children, and let them go. And Pharaoh asked a question, if you guys remember. He asked, who is Yahweh? Who's Yahweh that I should obey? And we've been going through chapter after chapter. Well, that angel of the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of all gods, has doled out sign after sign to answer that question for Pharaoh. And God put out this final sign where he said, Because you have chosen to harden your heart, because you want to stand in opposition to me and declare yourself to be a God, this final plague will be that I will move through the land of Egypt and I will kill every firstborn to prove that I have power over life. And then he goes as far as, and even death itself, where he doles out and gives us this amazing image imagery. This process by which they could take the innocent life of another and substitute it for their own. Where they would take this lamb, this spotless, unbroken lamb, and they would kill it. 
they would then take its blood and put it on the doorposts. And God made a very amazing statement when he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over, but not hover, I will protect. God says, when I see the blood of the innocent, the substitutionary payment, God says, when I see that, I will protect you from destruction, from wrath. And we saw on that night that that carried out exactly how God said. And so when we look through that amazing symbolism, let's get to that moment. So that night happened, and it says that there was crying throughout the land of Egypt. I'm actually going to back up to Exodus chapter 12 real quick. You guys don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. I'm going to go Exodus uh, chapter 31 through 42, because in the middle of this amazing imagery, God gave us this moment of where now the Exodus has come. The title of the book from this moment right here. And it says, in the, uh, Then he, speaking of Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. If you guys remember, when Moses kept going, God, why did you put me in this situation? I keep making it worse. I try and help the people and Pharaoh treats them worse. I go before Pharaoh and he dismisses us and it's nothing's working. God goes, I need you to be patient and wait because when I'm done, not only will Pharaoh let you go, he's going to push you out. And it says not only did Pharaoh, but the people, the Egyptians are going, we're done with this. Plague after plague, it's come to the final, this death, the firstborn. They have seen that, that their religious system, their priests, their government, who they believe to be their God in in Pharaoh, has no power over Yahweh. And in this moment, they says that they, they want to send them out with haste. For they said, we shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also. Again, guys, catch what's happening here. So God, back in Genesis, tells Abraham, look, there's this thing that's going to come down. Your people are going to be oppressed. But when I bring you out, I'm actually going to bring you out with wealth. And God had told Moses to tell the people of Israel, when they go to kick you out, say, hey, by the way, on our way out, can we have like gold and silver and like expensive clothes? And says that the people were so done with all of this, they said, take it and go. Take it and go. But something else happened along the way. If you guys remember throughout the plagues, even some of the priests and even some of the Egyptians started going, wait, every time this Yahweh declares something, it happens. So if you guys remember, there was a moment where the hail was going to come down and it would have killed livestock. And some of them go, why don't we also put some of our livestock in the barns and see if uh, ours don't die? And now here it is after God gives this amazing imagery of the promise of the blood that will protect. It says now a mixed multitude. That means through this process, There have been Egyptians who stood in complete opposition to Yahweh who have started to learn something. What Yahweh says happens. There is a true God. 
and we've been on the wrong side of things. And this mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked eleven cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now this is one of these moments in scripture. Maybe you guys, if you guys were note takers and tracking along, you caught a number there that maybe some of you would go, wait a second, did you say 430? Weren't we told that they were in Egypt 400 years? That's usually what we're, we're, we're told. Wait, no, the people of Egypt were in, the people of Israel were in Egypt 400 years. You just said 430. This is, again, one of these moments where people who think that there's somehow some discrepancy in Scripture like to go, see, you got to throw it all out. They can't even get their numbers straight. Was it 400? Was it 430? Yep. And, and I get where this comes from. I get where the struggle comes from. And so I, on one hand, I don't want to be dismissive because if you guys yourself go, I'm confused here on this number. Well, so are many. And there are, there are people who, who struggle with this and try and figure out, well, what is, what is happening here? And where this comes from is when we were going through the book of Genesis in chapter 15, verse 13 and 16, God said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Sounds familiar. And will serve them and will be afflicted for 400 years. And so you go, well, okay, well, see, God said 400. Why, what are we doing here with 430? In fact, Stephen in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 6 says, but God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and be oppressed for 400 years. So wait a second. So back in Genesis, God says 400 Greatest commentary in Scripture is Scripture, and New Testament says 400 years. So what is this 430 popping up in Exodus? So what is it? You, you, many skeptics would ask, and you might imagine, okay, so what is it? Is it 400 or 430? Yep. Now, go with me for a moment. What if when we read there in Exodus chapter... 40, that says, now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And just what if lived in Egypt was not descriptive of the journey, but actually the people? What if when it was saying who lived in Egypt is just that, not saying the 400 years in Egypt, but who lived in Egypt? So these people who now live in Egypt have been on a journey. And so what if Scripture did that? In fact, you know, what if actually this 430 years of Exodus was being applied to Abraham and the children of Israel uh, were only in the land of Egypt for about 215 years, not 400? Well, just again, go with me here. 430. So... What if scripture sounds like this? Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. Calls Abraham. God's calling him out. Let's say right now you start a clock counting down, 430 years. So you start clicking down. Then you get to Genesis chapter 21. And we find out that 
Moses makes a mistake, sleeps with an Egyptian woman named Hagar, has a son named Ishmael, who starts by Galatians, we're told, persecuting Isaac. Well, when you start counting down there and you get to chapter 21, you're at about 30 years down. So by the time you have an Egyptian persecuting the future children of Israel, persecuting this line, you're at a 400 mark. So the persecution starts at year 400. You keep going down. Genesis chapter 45 and 47, Joseph is revealed to his family and actually ends up bringing his family down into Egypt. Hit that clock again. You're down to 215 years. It has been, we're now at 215 years from where God called Abraham to the people who are in the land. Now you get to Exodus chapter 12, where we have this Exodus year. And about how long has it been from when the family came in to the Exodus? Another 215 years, and you get to the clock getting completed. Now, again, you say, okay, Bryce, that sounds fun with numbers. That's a good idea, but is it in any way biblically based? So, again, what if lived in Israel was not describing, again, so much, the, or was not describing the journey, but was describing the people? Well, that's exactly what the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, implies. In fact, when Paul's reading his Bible, the Septuagint is very much implying that this has all been wrapped in. And, and, and why do I know that? Is because Paul himself, in the book of Galatians, ends up pulling in Abraham to this concept of 430 years. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before, uh, before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise no effect. So again, why do I bring this up? It's because this is a, another one of these great moments where someone will try and come to you and say, you can't trust the Bible. There's all kinds of discrepancy. One, well, you know, one place it says 400, the other place it says 430, and yet when you actually read through it, you go, there's no discrepancy at all. In fact, it continues to, to play out and be consistent with what it said. The greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Stephen is talking directly to the persecuted times, starting back with Ishmael, and then Paul's letting us know, when you read in Exodus 430 years, you're encompassing from when God called Abraham to the moment these people leave Exodus, or leave in the Exodus here in chapter 12. Verse 42 says, uh, in the same night, solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. That is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance of the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now with that, I'm going to have you guys jump again. Uh, go ahead to Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. As you guys are turning there, uh, what's at the beginning of chapter 13 is in the beginning of chapter 13 is what we find out is this recognizing this, this commitment to the firstborn and the imagery of the death of the firstborn. Guy goes, that's not some once a year ceremony. In fact, God in chapter 13 establishes that every time a firstborn, whether it's from animal or person. God says, I want you to consecrate that and remember the Passover and what was done for you. 
So this wasn't supposed to be just some one-off religious ceremony. There was a religious ceremony that was important to remember, but God goes, this, this shouldn't just be something that you do every now and again, but this should be an everyday part of your life. But when you get to uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says, uh, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in an orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So the Exodus happens. The people are getting not only just let go, they're getting pushed out and they're taking jewelry, they're taking clothes, and they're taking Egyptians with them who go, hey, your God has proven out to be true. They get on their way out, they're leaving. There is a direct route to the wilderness that God wants them to go to, but says God knowingly directs them on this weird roundabout way. And you're gonna see how roundabout it actually seems. It, it, but there's a reason here. So again, if, if you were just looking at a map, if Moses was just going, okay, I gotta get this group of people, this huge number of people out of Egypt to the wilderness, I've made this route plenty of times, here's a direct route, and God goes, yeah, I want you to take a, a right right here and start heading kind of almost back in a U-turn type fashion. Wait, what, what, are we, what are we doing here? But God explains to us why. He knew the people's heart. He knew what would happen. He says, if they go in and, and they face the Philistines right now, it's, it's going to smash them. They're not ready for that fight yet. They're not ready. And again, God knowing their hearts. This, this is consistent with seeing in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 where God says to us, do not look at the appearance or the physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Psalm 44, 21, we're told, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Continue on, it says, and Moses took the bones of Joseph, Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took the journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not, make, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So again, this is just, I want this to be clear, and God's making this emphatically clear. They are being led by God. By day, he's a cloud, and at night, he is a pillar of fire, and he is leading them on this non-direct route. Now we get to chapter 14. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, that they turn to camp before uh, Pi-Hathroi, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Sephron. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they'll be wildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. This is such an out-of-the-way route. This is so not direct. This seems so ridiculous that it says that Pharaoh is going to hear what the children of Israel are doing and the route they're going. He's going, look at these dummies. They have no clue where they're going. They're lost. He went out into the wilderness. They made a wrong turn. They're just out there kind of bumbling around. This reminds us again of 1 Corinthians chapter 127 where it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things 
of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God continues saying, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and will gain honor over Pharaoh. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Again, God knows the heart of his people. He's taken them and directed them on this route. He's saying, you weren't ready for that fight. I'm going to take you. But he knows because it's an out of the way, because it's going to, there's other people, maybe like Pharaoh, who are going, what are Moses, where are you taking us? And God says, Pharaoh's going to think that. You have people who are going to think that. I want you to tell them I'm the one doing this. And I have a purpose. Pharaoh asked a question, who is Yahweh that I should believe? And God says, I am going to answer that question for him and every Egyptian and all of my children. Because again, we're told in Romans chapter 121, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. One of the things that happens in your life when you go through these moments, these very same moments, you seem like you're in a wilderness. You, you, wait, I know the direct route. This seems like the logical, I can see the circumstance, point A, point B, this is the way to go. And God's telling you, no, I want you to go this way. And as you find yourself maybe even surrounded by others who are going, this is foolish. If you can say and know with confidence what I've done is I've gone before the Lord and it's the Lord who's leading. The mistake that happens so often in this as we face the, the difficulties in those trials is to then question the goodness of God, yet Scripture makes it emphatically clear. Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock. His work is perfect for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. We don't ever need to question God's goodness. It is very fair. I get it. You, in your life, maybe like these Israelites, maybe like so many would go, okay, God, then why? What are you doing this for? What is the point? What do you want? And in that moment, I reminded of verses like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that says, the Lord is not slow or slack concerning his promise, as some count slowness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God made something clear to Moses as he's been doing this. Not only are your people going to know, but I want the Egyptians to know who I am. God is using your trial, your struggle to reveal himself to those around you, to those who need to know him, your family, your friends, Maybe some of you already have jobs, your co-workers, and yes, even like the children of Israel to Egypt, even to your enemies. He will use your trials to reveal himself to everyone around you and to be reminded that though in this world we may think someone to be an enemy, that we are not enemies to any person. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That God is saying, I have pronounced judgment on the gods of Israel, and I want the people of Egypt, these false gods of Egypt, 
and I want the people of Egypt to know who I am. And it's happened. We see the mixed multitude coming out. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Guys, I I want you to catch what happened again. Sometimes we take these things as, as rote and we overlook them. But from the very beginning, God has been telling Moses, this was what's going to happen. I'm going to do this and Pharaoh will respond in this way. Then I will do this and Pharaoh is going to respond in this way. And everything I'm doing is so that you know I'm faithful to my word and so that they know I am who I said I am. And just like what happened, Pharaoh looks out and sees the people and go, they're lost. Their hearts turn and they say, what have we done? Let's go get them. And God said, I told you this was coming. I told you they would think you were lost. Their hearts would turn and they're going to pursue after you. And just again, imagine that moment as they are heading into the wilderness. Maybe some of the Egyptians who are that mixed multitude are going, I don't know why you guys are following this Moses guy. You know this is not the right way, right? We're in a totally different land here. And then you hear the rumbling start up. The word starts getting out. Pharaoh's coming. The panic that would sue as you're in this wilderness thinking that you're lost. Wait, we've been following this cloud and fire. Is, is that really what we're doing? And God gets to remind them again, I told you this was going to happen. This is not outside of his knowledge. This is not outside of his care. This is not outside of his power. And if anything, should be once again reaffirming that God has said, I told you this would happen. I took you out of Egypt in the very way I said it would happen. And I told you that this was the next battle coming. God is fully aware of this. He is true to his word. Numbers chapter 23 tells us that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said he will not do? Has he said he will and not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And 2 Timothy chapter 2, 13 reminds us, even if we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That God is true to his word. And God says, I don't lie. I don't make mistakes. I know what I'm doing and I told you what I was going to do. Trust me. Isaiah 55, 11 reminds us, as God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, not only is my word faithful, it's effective. God says, if I've given you a promise, you can take that to the bank, and it's not going to be a check that bounces. You can count on it. It will do what I have intended it to do. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-hath-roi before Baal-sephron. I, I, I need you guys again to, to, to picture this and, and try and get, is the route that God has taken them on. 
as he led them through a valley. Egypt is behind them. There is mountain ranges on both sides, and they are headed right towards this Gulf of Aqaba. And as they're heading to this, with, with the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on either side, and it says now Pharaoh has overtaken. Pharaoh is right behind him. He has, with all these chariots, he is just blaring in. God led them into a trap. There's no way out. They have a sea before them. Mountains they can't scale on time. Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. And the cloud and pillar led them there. God led them right into a trap. And I need to say this because there's a, there's a phrase that gets thrown out in Christendom all the time that just really needs to be stripped away. And they, there's this phrase that gets thrown out that God will not give you more than you can bear. They could not bear this. There is no way out of this. The Egyptian army bearing down on them, no escape, ocean in front of them. There is nothing, this children of Israel, there is nothing these people can do to face this. And God led them there. Philippians 4.13 does tell us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's just keep going a little bit. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said, Moses, I want you guys to catch this. These are people. Red Sea in front of them, mountains on the side. Pharaoh is bearing down. They are there. They are already wondering, what are we doing here? And now they're in this situation. And they say, what? Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is, not, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. This is a moment that you will face many times in your life where you will find yourself going, wait a second, God, I trusted you. I heard that you were good. I followed your word. I followed your path. And here I am in a trap. The enemy is bearing down on me. I have no way of escape. Why are you doing this? Why is this happening to me? Why is stuff like this happening? You know, there's an, another phrase that people throw out, and, and it kind of bugs me, is, you know, be careful what you wish for. Oh, be careful what you pray for. You know, don't, don't pray for patience because you might just go through it. No, pray for patience. Pray to be made more in the image of God. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also 
be glad with exceeding joy. And again, in Philippians chapter four, we're told this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this is not, and I've used this analogy before, and again, I know it's been a while since I've been in the gym, and it shows. But I'm not talking about when he says, take joy always. It's not that psycho joy of that guy who's looking at himself in the mirror going, I love the pain, I don't love the pain. And go, okay, chill out, bro. So we're not talking about that, that weirdness. Now, there is a reality to going, what, what, right? What do you see sometimes again across the, the shore? Guys say, hey, no pain, no gain. That's where the joy's in. You don't have to sit there and go, ooh, I love pain. But go, no, I, I know what this pain leads to. But you don't have to pretend that it's not painful. You don't have to pretend that you're not hurting. You don't have to pretend that you don't know what's going on and you're frustrated and you're hurting. That's not what he said to do. He said in the midst of that, to the extent that you realize that you are being conformed into the image of Christ, is go, I can take joy in that. I don't have to sit there and go, ooh, I love when my friend stabbed me in the back. I love when the person I trusted the most, you know, completely just turned on me. God's not being weird and saying, ooh, love that. No, saying, know that when you experience those things, then you are became more and more like Christ who had his best friends run out on him, face all kinds of injustice. His family, whose own brothers go, this guy's wacko. God's not saying, love the pain. He's saying, in the pain, you can always take joy knowing that God says, I have a purpose for this. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Guys, if this is not a wow moment for you, I, 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 don't, I, don't, know what, I don't know how else to, to make this come alive right now. He is in the moment. He has not watched the animated film where Val Kilmer's voice comes through and says, Behold, I will do my wonders. He doesn't know the end of the story. He doesn't, he doesn't have the book in front of him to turn the page. Moses is in this moment. He trusted God. He led these people into a trap. See before him, mountains around me. Pharaoh is bearing down and the people say to him, what have you done? And he goes, be still. The same God who said he was going to get us out of Egypt and did that. The same God who told us that this exact moment was coming, he's here. Be still. Have peace because know that he's the one who's going to fight for us. And in fact, all these Egyptians coming to take our lives right now, they're all going to get wiped out. He does not have scripture to turn to. He has not seen the movie. All he has is a God who has told him from chapters back for us, but a couple years of his life now as he's gone through this training, that everything God has told him he would do, he's done. Even when Moses was unfaithful, even when Moses messed up, even when Moses goes, God, what are you doing? God says, Moses, watch. I've got a plan here. This is not out of my care. I see what's going on. I care. 
and I can do this. And in this moment of just complete alignment, when the people are freaking out, Moses looks at them and just says, know that it's the Lord who's going to go before. So yes, God will give you more than you can handle, just like he did here. But he will never give you more than he can handle. He will never put you in a situation where he is not standing right next to you and saying, be still and let me fight this one. Let me do this. Let me show you and all of them, I am the I am. Psalm 46, verse 10. I have it over my daughter's beds. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. But I just love that. God says, be still and know that I am God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, we're told, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now again, I have mentioned this, and this verse, we talk about verses getting taken out of context, and people, this verse so many times gets used as a club instead of a hug. When someone is anxious, when someone is scared, do not whip out Philippians, or, uh, yeah, Philippians 4, 6 and say, be anxious for nothing. What's the matter with you? That doesn't help anybody. And that's not what God was saying here. It's not what he means here. But it gets taken out of context all the time. Be anxious for nothing. And you go, okay, then what do I do? So glad you asked. Because God continues in Philippians to say, this is what you do. Take it to him. Pray to him with gratitude for who he is. Meditate on this. Not this weird Eastern idea of, of emptying your mind. God's saying, don't empty yourself. Be filled with biblical truth, taking every thought captive and just anchoring it on who he is, on purity, everything that is pure and lovely and good, virtuous and praiseworthy. Anxiety is a battle of the mind and God gives us a path to his peace through prayer and biblical meditation. Fear is the battle of the heart. Now, when I was much, much younger, about 30 years or so ago, not 30 years, that'd only be six years, I used to have night terrors. Now, everyone talks about, oh, I have bad dreams. Yeah, you watch a scary movie, you wake up. This was on a whole different level. My parents weren't sure what to do. Now, I wish I could say that they took me to a counselor and my night terrors went away. They didn't go away. But I was given a tool at the age of seven. And this person says, every time you wake up in that panic, every time you feel like you can't speak, just think on these words and fill yourself with them. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Guys, I'm sure you feel it. Our world is gripped by a spirit of fear. And we could make the mistake of quoting the first half of Philippians 4, 6 and beating people over a club and say, well, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Don't be anxious. Or we can embody the very spirit of power, love, 
and sound mind that Christ has given us by faith in his completed work on the cross. God's word teaches you to deal with that spirit of fear. Whether you're scared or it's simply just the world around you that is in a panic. So again, just as I close out, I just, I just these application points of, of this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. The word here is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite for it. It is an explosive power. As we're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Know that God is right there beside you, and he will come upon you and overflow you as a fountain of living water. He's given you a spirit of love. This is that agape love, the love that Christ has for his church. As we're told in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know God, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that while we might live through him, and this is, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And lastly, that sound mind it is the word that means discipline, control. The kind of control that Proverbs speaks of in chapter 16, verse 32, where it says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. So again, whether it's for yourself today, or for those around you, as we think about these followers of God who stand in the trap and are going, what do we do here? It's to know to be still. Know that he will fight for you. Know that he sees and cares. And in that moment, it's not to go, oh, take joy and pain. Oh, I know it's scary, but just don't be afraid. No, he says, it's, it's not just don't be afraid. It is stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall behold your peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. And Father, again, I just pray for anyone who is in this place of anxiety or fear, who, who, who's in pain, and, and maybe that's being dismissed by themselves or others, that God, you don't tell us to psychopathically enjoy being hurt but in the midst of our hurt in the midst of our pain our joy comes knowing that you have a purpose to reveal yourself to us to make us more like you and to reveal yourself to those around us to our family our friends lord and even sometimes the enemy that wants to hurt us lord that you you are so patient and not willing that any should perish but that all should come to the knowledge of who you are. You are Yahweh, the I am. You are the God who saves. God, would that transform our lives and we walk out every day in complete gratitude for who you are and what you're doing. In your son's name, amen. 
The cover-to-cover -cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the cover-to-cover -cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal. <laughs>